Welcome back to Sunday Scripture from All Saints Catholic Church in Dallas, Texas. Every week our ministry team is reading through and reflecting on the Mass readings for the upcoming Sunday. Today we're looking at the Mass readings for Palm Sunday, which will be on March 28th, 2021. You can find all these readings at usccb.org under the Daily Readings tab at the top of the page. Uh, at this point, before we go any further, go ahead and subscribe to uh, our podcast on whatever platform you're listening so that you don't miss any of our weekly episodes. Uh, so let's go ahead and read through our readings for today, or for Sunday. So our first reading is actually the procession that we do with the palms, and it is from the Gospel of Mark. When Jesus and his disciples drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately on entering it you will find a colt tethered on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone should say to you, Why are you doing this? Reply, The master has need of it, and will send it back here at once. So they went off and found a colt, tethered at a gate outside on the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They answered them just as Jesus had told them to, and they permitted them to do it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and put their cloaks over it. He sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Those preceding him, as well as those following, kept crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that is to come. Hosanna in the highest. In our first reading comes from Isaiah chapter 50. The Lord God has given me a well-trained tongue that I might know how to speak to the weary, a word that will rouse them. Morning after morning he opens my ears that I might hear, and I have not rebelled, have not turned back. I I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard. My face I did not shield from buffets and spitting. The Lord God is my help, therefore I am not disgraced. I have set my face like flint, knowing that I shall not be put to shame. Our responsorial psalm comes from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? All who see me scoff at me. They mock me with parted lips. They wag their heads. He relied on the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him if he loves him. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Indeed, many dogs surround me. A pack of evildoers closes in upon me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? They divide my garments among them, and for my vesture they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far from me. O my help, hasten to aid me. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, give glory to him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. My God, my God. Why have you abandoned me? Our second reading is from Philippians chapter 2. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness, and found human in appearance. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God greatly exalted him 
and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And our gospel today comes from Mark chapters 14 and 15. It's the Lord's Passion. It's a bit longer. We're going to read it in parts as you might hear it during Mass. Uh, so here we go. The Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were to take place in two days' time. So the chief priests and the scribes were seeking a way to arrest him by treachery and put him to death. They said, Not during the festival, for fear that there may be a riot among the people. When he was in Bethany reclining at table in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of perfumed oil, costly, genuine spikenard. She broke the alabaster jar and poured it on his head. There were some who were indignant. Why has there been this waste of perfumed oil? It could have been sold for more than 300 days' wages, and the money given to the poor. They were infuriated with her. Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you make trouble for her? She has done a good thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anticipated anointing my body for burial. Amen, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed to the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went off to the chief priests to hand him over to them. When they heard him, they were pleased and promised to pay him money. Then he looked for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you, carrying a jar of water. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. The disciples then went off, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they reclined at table and were eating, Jesus said, Amen, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and say to him, one by one, Surely it is not I. He said to them, One of the twelve, the one who dips with me into the dish. For the Son of Man indeed goes, as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be better for that man if he had never been born. While they were eating, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which will be shed for many. Amen, I say to you, I shall not drink again the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in the new in the kingdom of God. Then, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will have your faith shaken, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be dispersed. But after I have been raised up, I shall go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though all should have their faith shaken, mine will not be. Then Jesus said to him, Amen, I say to you, this very night before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he vehemently replied, Even though I should have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all spoke similarly. 
Then they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be troubled and distressed. And he said to them, My soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here and keep watch. He advanced a little and fell to the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass by him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Take this cup away from me, but not what I will, but you will. When he returned, he found them asleep. He said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not undergo the test. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Withdrawing again, he prayed, saying the same thing. Then he returned once more and found them asleep, for they could not keep their eyes open and did not know what to answer him. He returned a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is to be handed over to sinners. Get up, let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. Then, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived, accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who had come from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had arranged a signal with them, saying, The man I shall kiss is the one. Arrest him and lead him away securely. He came and immediately went over to him and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. At this they laid hands on him and arrested him. One of the bystanders drew his sword, struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them in reply, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to seize me? Day after day I was with you, teaching in the temple area, yet you did not arrest me, but that the scriptures may be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Now a young man followed him, wearing nothing but a linen cloth about his body. They seized him, but he left the cloth behind and ran off naked. They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. Peter followed him at a distance into the high priest's courtyard and was seated with the guards, warming himself at the fire. The chief priests and the entire Sanhedrin kept trying to obtain testimony against Jesus in order to put him to death, but they found none. Many gave false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. Some took the stand and testified falsely against him, alleging, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another not made with hands. Even so, their testimony did not agree. The high priest rose before the assembly and questioned Jesus, saying, Have you no answer? What are these men testifying against you? But he was silent and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Then Jesus answered, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. At that the high priest tore his garments and said, What further need have we of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as deserving to die. Some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him and struck him and said to him, Prophesy. And the guards greeted him with blows. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the high priest's maids came along. Seeing Peter warming himself, she looked intently at him and said, You too were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are talking about. So he went out into the outer court. Then the cock crowed. The maid saw him and began to say, began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. Once again he denied it. A little later the bystander said to Peter once more, Surely you are one of them, for you too are a Galilean. 
He began to curse and to swear. I do not know this man about whom you are talking. And immediately a cock crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had said to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. He broke down and wept. As soon as morning came, the chief priests with the elders and the scribes, that is, the whole Sanhedrin, held a council. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Pilate questioned him. Are you the king of the Jews? He said to him in reply. You say so. The chief priests accused him of many things. Again, Pilate questioned him. Have you no answer? See how many things they accuse you of. Jesus gave him no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now on the occasion of the feast, he used to release to them one prisoner whom they requested. A man called Barabbas was then in prison along with the rebels who had committed murder in a rebellion. The crowd came forward and began to ask him to do for them as he was accustomed. Pilate answered, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release Barabbas for them instead. Pilate again said to them in reply, Then what do you want me to do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they shouted again, Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? They only shouted the louder, Crucify him! So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and, after he had Jesus scourged, handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the praetorium, and assembled the whole cohort. They clothed him in purple, and, weaving a crown of thorns, placed it on him. They began to salute him with, Hail, King of the Jews! And kept striking his head with a reed, and spitting upon him. They knelt before him in homage. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, dressed him in his own clothes, and led him out to crucify him. They pressed into service a passerby, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. They brought him to the palace of Golgotha, which is translated Place of the Skull. They gave him wine drugged with myrrh, but he did not take it. Then they crucified him, and divided his garments by casting lots for them to see what each should take. It was nine o'clock in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. With him they crucified two revolutionaries, one on his right and one on his left. Those passing by reviled him, shaking their heads and saying, Aha! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself by coming down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests with the scribes mocked him among themselves and said, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also kept abusing him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders who heard it said, Look, he is calling Elijah. One of them ran, soaked a sponge with wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see if, Eli Wait, let us see if Elijah comes to take him down. Jesus gave a loud cry and breathed his last. The veil of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who stood facing him saw how he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of the younger James, and of Joseph and Salome. These women had followed him when he was in Galilee and ministered to him. There were also many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem. When it was already evening, 
since it was the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a distinguished member of the council, who was himself awaiting the kingdom of God, came and courageously went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was amazed that he was already dead. He summoned the centurion and asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned of it from the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. Having bought a linen cloth, he took him down, wrapped him in the linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb that had been hewn out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, watched where he was laid. So go ahead and pause here to take a minute to reflect, either by yourself or whoever you're with, uh, listening to the podcast, all those readings. Think about what's interesting, what stuck out, the questions you have. Uh, we've already had a chance to do that as a team, so we're going to go ahead and get right into our reflections. Well, there's so much in these readings to unpack. Um, but I think for me, one of the readings this year that has stuck out greatly is the second reading. Um, of Philippians, which is a reading we've heard a bunch of times. Um, Just Jesus's um, humility um, in becoming human um, and then just being totally obedient to the Father's will um, with everything that he knew he was going to experience um, and literally died for each of us um but kind of that call that is given to each of us of like what are we called to um die to in our own lives um while we might not be called to physically die to it um but sometimes there's things we have to give up and to sacrifice um and how do we do that and then like what are we making um in a sense like an idol in our life um are we just bending to the name of Jesus and recognizing the power within his name. Um, But are we idolizing or placing things above the level that they should be? And like only Jesus should really be um, praised and glorified and be like the center of things. But are we allowing um, TV or social media or whatever it may be? Um, And even if it's something that we struggle with, like, we can start over tomorrow as, as difficult as that is or start today. Um, but really is like Jesus the focus and like, are we only truly bending our knee and like bowing to Jesus and giving him the glory that he deserves versus other things that make their way into our lives? Yeah, like Josie had said, there's just, there's so much, I mean, there's five readings. It's already way more plus the passion. It's two whole chapters of Mark. Um, and Mark tends to write uh, more condensed than the other gospel writers, but even so, there's just there's so much going on. Um, and I think one thing to uh, mention that is just one of the um, kind of inherent, the inherent tension in Palm Sunday is that you have this beginning, you have this gospel at the beginning that we read. And, you, know, may, you may or may not do the procession, but there's you know the liturgical procession. You're actually kind of joining in that welcoming of Jesus into Jerusalem, and you see all these people, you know, they're trying to just, like, put their cloaks under the donkey he's riding, so, because he's that cool, like, and that's, um, they're just, they're singing his praises, and then by the end of the week, they're turning around and calling for him to be crucified, um, and I don't know that it was all the same people, but I'll bet it was, um, and we, because, really, that's all of us, uh, we, at one moment, we were praising God, we were saying that we were 
uh, you know, a good Christian, a good Catholic, whatever, and that we still sin. Uh, so in those moments, we kind of go back and forth uh, between those two extremes as well. Um, but either way, uh, Jesus dies for us, and he gives us the opportunity to uh, you know, go to confession and things of that sort. And so um, he, you know, as awful as this total betrayal is, um, he's, Jesus is totally faithful to the Father and to the promises that he makes to us, uh, and he'll always be willing to welcome us back as long as we are willing to go back. Yeah, I think kind of like you're saying in like walking through it, I mean this reading always reminds me like growing up. I remember walking into Mass on Palm Sunday and being like, oh my gosh, this is the one where they make us talk through the gospel. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be so long like as a kid growing up, but then walking through it more as a young adult now and even, you know, and high school and college and just being able to I you know times whenever I would think like um think like Peter and be like oh like that would never be me I would never say these things outright if this was happening but then thinking again in like my daily life and reflecting when have I actually done that in big ways and small ways a lot and reflecting that like how I perceive this reading as a kid and how I perceive it now has changed so much Um, And specifically with the psalm, you know, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And the last, one of the last things that Christ says, and I remember growing up and looking at this line and always being so lost by it. Like I wouldn't think about it very much except like this one day of the year when I had to hear it during mass and being like, that does not sound like something that Jesus would say. Like he's never been this way, been this way. Why would he speak this way now about God abandoning him? Um, and it was just one of those things that I had always thought about and questioned, but never actually gone anywhere with until maybe, I think it was my like freshman year of college when I started taking different theology classes. I was like, I have to figure this out because this has never made sense to me. And there's obviously more to it. Um, and I think we talk about a little bit in the Lenten reflection today too, is after doing a little bit more research about it and um, some theologians saying that it's, whenever he says this in the crucifixion it's a way of repeating or reflecting this psalm 22 and kind of drawing back to it and seeing the ways through the crucifixion that this psalm is like a fulfillment of that and so i just can't like in reflecting on that i kind of put myself in this place as someone who would be there at the crucifixion and know very well at the time maybe even have some of this psalm memorized and then hear that line and be like oh my like this is literally what has just happened like you know how could you let these things happen and even if people did recognize it or they didn't you know kind of seeing that it's a callback to this psalm not just you know in in the ways that like why have you abandoned me like how why have we abandoned him and really just i don't know putting myself in the place of different people who would have been present at the crucifixion or would have been present the entire time leading up to that um, kind of makes it stand out and very significant. Yeah, I've always, I've always wondered, should we have a better relationship with Christ as people who know the story 2,000 years later? 
than the people who actually walked with Christ. Right, like when, when we talk about like Peter's denial, am I in a better place in my life when I deny Jesus than Peter was when Peter denied Jesus? Or is Peter in a better place because he doesn't have 2,000 years of revelation to kind of show that like, man, why, why am I still so bad at this? Um, and that's a question that I, I, I've been asking myself every year at Easter time for as long as I can remember is, is am I in a better situation or a worse situation than they were at the time, um, knowing what we know now versus what they knew then? Um, so I think that's such a good thing to reflect on, like the, the roles of those people that were around. Um, for me, what, what really stands out with these readings, and I, I think it's perfect to go segue right after what you were saying, Erica, is the, we don't we don't usually focus on the psalm when we do these readings. We've done these Bible reflections for I don't know how many weeks now. But even when we do like the Sunday reflection videos, which we've almost been doing for an entire year, we kind of ignore the psalm. We just kind of jump over it. Um, some of it for sake of time. Some of it just because we don't have something that pertains to it. But this psalm specifically, uh, going back to what uh, is said in the first reading, the Lord God has given me a well-trained tongue that I might know how to speak to the weary, a word that will rouse them. And I think Jesus embodies this perfectly. He, he's never a person who's running out into the streets proclaiming God's word. He, he's not loud. He's not um, uh, boisterous in those kind of ways. And yet here in this moment on the cross, he takes the time to use his well-trained tongue to rouse the crowd by quoting the psalm. And if you go through the psalm and you look at it and go back and even listen to this recording of the psalm, the amount of things that are specific to Jesus' crucifixion, that um, it talks about how they surround him like they, the Pharisees and Sadducees do, or, or the Sanhedrin do. They count his bones. They, his hands and feet are pierced. I mean, it's, it's word for word. And so, right, these theologians that have, have talked about, like, either he quotes psalm 22 to remind them of this or he begins with psalm 22 and quotes all the way from psalm 22 to uh, psalm 31 while he's hanging on the cross uh to to remind people who exactly it is that is being crucified um and i love that and, and i love that in isaiah also it says that um i lost my spot i gave my back to those who beat me my cheeks to those who plucked my beard. My face I did not shield. A lot of times I think we think that Jesus was like under attack by this malicious group who, who was, was out to get him and, and all these... But he allows all of this to happen. Like he takes all of this on because he understands that he's fulfilling this final covenantal arrangement between God and his people. That he's going to take on the sin of the world. Um... And at no point in time does he run away from that, or does he scream about that, or does he fight? Instead, he, he willingly accepts uh, that. And I think that is that is why we talk about this as the ultimate uh, act of love. Thanks for joining us today for Sunday Scripture. Be sure to join us again next week for Easter Sunday. God bless, and we'll see you then.